Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. much has changed since mid-March. That's when we started sheltering in place because of the coronavirus pandemic, and it became evident pretty quickly that this was not going to be just a problem for a few weeks. So what did we do? We set up our offices in our homes. We turned all of our pastors into televangelists, well, at least over the internet, and we found out the value of our relationships, either because now we were forced to spend all of our time in tight quarters with family members, or the opposite was true and we figured out that we weren't going to be able to see other family members or friends for a really long time, at least not face to face. Some people decided to reconnect with God during this time. And so, with so many of our churches now broadcasting services, seekers started watching. And when churches started opening back up for in-person worship, some of those people actually ventured through our doors. Still, other people have taken steps to boost their spirituality. I know personally that I decided to set aside a firm time every day for the reading of scripture and reflection. And while that had been an almost daily habit for me before, it was just that, almost every day. Well, now it's the first thing I do every day when I get up. I'm using Ron Rhodes' excellent study guide, A Chronological Tour Through the Bible. And as of this recording, I'm on day 124 of 365. King David just had to face his personal shortcomings for a second time and had people around him to point out that he had strayed from the path. Facing our sins. Having someone there to help us navigate our shortcomings and recommit ourselves to God. Setting us back on the narrow path. That's a key part of class meetings. An emphasis by Great Plains Bishop Reuben Sines Jr. in our point of cabinet. Regular listeners will recall that we explored class meetings earlier this summer. Now, we had to step away for a while to focus on the important issue of racial injustice, and then I had to pause the podcast for a few weeks for duties related to my day job as communications director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church. And as an aside, while I'm talking about that, congratulations to our newly ordained pastors in the Great Plains Conference, as well as to those who are commissioned as provisional members of the annual conference. We just got back from a great weekend of celebration in Omaha. Anyway, back to this episode. The long-awaited third of three focusing on class meetings. They're meant to help the smallest of congregations remain vital witnesses for Christ in their communities. And they're meant to help all Christians find the accountability for our sin that we so often lack, sometimes even try to avoid. So let's first look at those smallest of congregations. Here's Bishop Rubenstein Jr. explaining why now is the right time to look into the past of the Methodist movement as a means of securing a brighter future. The first part is we want to continue to sustain the United Methodist 
and Wesleyan witness in, in all parts of our two states of Kansas and Nebraska. And we realize that sometimes our churches come to the point where um, having a part-time, even a part-time or a full-time clergy is, is not no longer a possibility. In other words, congregations simply can't afford any longer to pay for a pastor. Now, this isn't unique to the Great Plains. It just happens to be where we are right now and where I'm talking to you from. But class meetings could help prevent some congregations from closing their doors. They have a vital mission there. And so the class meeting is a way to, to reclaim our Wesleyan heritage and empower our laity, right, to, to organize themselves and to hold each other accountable um, and ask themselves, you know, how is it with your soul? And to have those conversations about their relationship with God and uh, with their neighbor and with each other. And so uh, in that way, we can maintain that, that presence there and, and that opportunity to stay engaged with in the different areas in, in various ways, so acts of service or mission or ministry or just spiritual care. In the first of our three episodes on this subject, I spoke with David Lowe's Watson. He's a retired elder, college professor, and historian. Here he is again explaining some of the history of class meetings and class leaders and how John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, put them to use to bolster discipleship and to build relationships. Well, this all began in the city of Bristol. That's in the West Country. And uh, that's made, Wesley made that one of his big headquarters. But it didn't begin as a class meeting. It began with class leaders who were part of the society. The society met together once a week and sometimes more. But the class leaders were people who were given pastoral responsibility for visiting a number of the members in their homes. And they began to do that until they ran into problems because a lot of the early Methodists were very much from the working class and in a household, they would be the servants. And the owners of the house resented a Methodist class leader knocking on their door to talk to one of their servants and made it difficult for them to do that. And of course, they also wondered, were some of these servants gossiping about things they shouldn't be gossiping about? They didn't know about these Methodists and what they were up to. And that led to Wesley saying, well, instead of going around to all these people, which was very time consuming and it was all done on foot, why don't we bring them together and hold a meeting? And that was what began the class meeting. So that instead of the leaders going round, the people in the class came to meet with the leader usually at the Methodist headquarters. And by the way, the oldest Methodist building in the world is in the city of Bristol. And it now is a, 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 an international place of pilgrimage. And in fact, they about five years ago got a major grant from the European Union to build a visiting center around this new room. So a lot was happening in this particular place. But they didn't begin with the class meeting. What they began with were lay people. At first, it was only men, but later women joined them who 
accepted a pastoral responsibility for a group of other Methodists. If you didn't catch that, what Watson said is lay people led the effort. It wasn't an ordained pastor. Much like in Jesus' day, with untrained apostles taking the lead after Christ resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven, lay people led the effort. Here again is Bishop Sines explaining how the intimacy of the old-time class meetings can help bolster our faith and accountability today. It goes back to confess your sins to one another, right? And oftentimes our relationship with other people don't get to that level. So you're talking about a community of faith that was deeply connected to each other uh, in a very personal way, and they, they help, like Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Alcoholics Anonymous is that kind of a, a, a group where, where the sponsor holds the, uh, the one that they're you know, sponsoring very closely and holds them accountable. And, and they talk to each other about real stuff that matters, not just, you know, superficial things. Uh, and so you're talking about an authentic Christian community where there's no sham or pretense. It's like, help me be a better follower of Jesus Christ and, and help me remove these obstacles from my life so that I can walk in integrity as a follower of Christ. I guess you could say John Wesley had little or no shame. He cared so deeply for the people around him that he asked them all kinds of questions meant to make them reflect on the state of their faith on a weekly basis. The idea was if people had to answer for their actions on a regular basis, they wouldn't have the chance to stray very far. Some of those questions were pretty basic, but some were way more personal. Bishop Sines explains and reads from a list of some of those questions asked by John Wesley. So, so Wesley had a list of questions, right? Wesley always had a list of questions. And, and questions, it kind of, it, somebody described them as a, as a trowel as a, or as a spade. They kind of dig down deep into the dirt, you know, beyond our veneers and help us get at the deeper things that are going on inside of us. And, and so I, was, I found this list, and, and these were the questions that they would ask each other when he was a part of the Holy Club at Oxford. For example, do I give the Bible time to speak to me every day? And so this gets at, do you even read the Bible every day, right? Uh, am I enjoying prayer? Okay. Uh, when did I last speak to someone else about my faith? Imagine. I mean, these are questions that they would ask each other on a weekly basis. So, I mean, how, when we think about it, how often do we get to speak to someone about our faith? For, for Wesley... This was something that we should do naturally, like breathing air, reading scripture, prayer, talking about our faith. These were, these were ongoing practices and behavior of, of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, here's another one. Do I, do I get to bed on time and get up on time? <laughs> he woke up at 4.30 in the morning, right? Uh, did I disobey God in anything? Right? So you can imagine that these meetings went long into the night every week. Uh, am I defeated in any part of my life? Right? Well, yeah. Uh, am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, or distrustful? Some of us couldn't get past that one. Um, how do I spend my spare time? Am I proud and arrogant? You know? And so imagine, I mean, if we had to sit into these questions, here's another one. 
do I grumble or complain constantly? <laughs> Obviously, this is something that, you know, you don't want to do. Uh, oh, here's, here's one. This is a good one for our time. Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold a resentment toward, or disregard? If so, what am I doing about it? I, mean, I think if we gathered what as a I, class, what am I doing about, doing about it, right? Yeah, like, deal, uh, so if these, these, these repulsions towards the other human being, right, are not, are, 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 are incoherent with, our, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So, so first of all, you have to own up to it. <laughs> There's a whole list of people that I do not like, right, or I disregard or I despise or whatever. And then the question is, so how, what are you doing about it? How, how are you overcoming, right, your, your dislike for them? And so, and so imagine if we gathered together as a class and this was a question for the day. Imagine if the answer to some of those questions about being upset with someone involves someone in the room. Talk about personal and awkward. These meetings usually were in a person's home. That's something that's a little different for us today in an era when so much centers on the brick and mortar of our buildings instead of on the foundations of our souls. The meetings led by Wesley and his followers back then dug into intensely personal territory. Again, here's Bishop Signs. And it doesn't have to be in a church building. It could be at a home. It, it could, you know, obviously, you do want some privacy. You know, and it may be someone's home if they do have that privacy uh, or in, in a public place uh, if they can get some some privacy where they can be quiet because these these class meetings you know they go beyond the veneers of how's the weather <laughs> you know who won the game uh, you know what's the latest in the world of politics uh, although they could touch on all of those things at some point in the reflection but but they really get at the deeper issue of how is it with your soul how is your spiritual life today uh, and it, you know, in, in our spiritual life, it it uh, it ebbs and flows, right? But but it's it's the same way of just checking in with with a group of people that love that first of all love you, they're going to watch over, or they're going to watch over you in love, uh, they care for you, uh, and they want to see you grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Despite the problems caused by COVID nineteen, it's actually helped the church with its outreach. We're not so stuck on the physical address of our buildings anymore, are we? Well, first of all, we just had, just came out of a cabinet meeting, and uh, Nancy Tomlinson was talking about... <clears throat> Nancy Tomlinson is the district superintendent for the Blue River District, which is the Lincoln area of Nebraska. That right now we have the analog church, in-person uh, kind of meeting, right, where people actually gather in a building at a time and a place, uh, to, to do this, right? Now we have the digital way of gathering virtually, and that can also be at a place and in, in a virtual space. And then you have the hybrid where you can have a class meeting and maybe have someone in, you know, uh, via, via online that can be part of the class meeting, especially if they're traveling or something, but they still want to be part of the class meeting so they can join. So you have people in person, then you have people online that are part of the meeting. And so, I mean, so if you think about the ways that this can happen, it's, it's not impossible anymore with some technology or with accessibility to, you know, physical spaces as, as we were used to. Um, and so, you know, as far as gathering is concerned, 
I think a whole new world of opportunity has been opened up to us as to where and when and how it could happen. So I'm excited about that. When we come back to in layman's terms, we'll talk briefly about class leaders. These class meetings may not need a pastor, but they do need someone to help provide a little guidance. And we'll explore again how that works right after this break. How does your church celebrate big events? How does it gather the community together? How does it sometimes introduce you to people you might not have known? Many times in the Great Plains, it's with a potluck dinner. And that's what we try to do with our podcast, Potluck. This is David Burke from the Great Plains Conference and host of Potluck, where we do, in audio form, all the things a potluck dinner does. Celebrate big events, gather the community, and introduce you to new and interesting people. Listen to Potluck, available at greatplainsumc.org. Matthew 28 tells us to make disciples of Jesus Christ. But how can you do that? You can help by providing some inspiration each morning to someone else. Just go to www.greatplainsumc.org dailydevotions. Once there, you'll find a QR code and a link to a sign-up page. Pick your day and your topic. If you need some assistance, there's even a link to the Vanderbilt University Daily Lectionary. Follow the instructions for submitting your devotion, and you've done your part to help inspire and encourage others in their Christian walk. Again, that's www.greatplainsumc.org slash dailydevotions. Help make more disciples today. Welcome back to In Layman's Terms. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. In this episode, we're revisiting the concept of class meetings and how they can help people become stronger disciples for Jesus Christ. Before the break, Bishop Reuben Sines Jr. of the Great Plains Conference talked about how class meetings can be conducted almost anywhere thanks to technology. But I wanted to explore with him the concept of the class leader. I asked the bishop just who exactly would be the leaders of these groups. Class leaders are already present. There's normally people within the church that others can identify as those that have spiritual leadership or wisdom uh, and also a lot of credibility in the community, uh, not just in the church community, but also in the community. And so they're already there. It's just a matter of, I guess, formalizing you know, their role and then assigning them uh, they, the, uh, the privilege. I'm, I'm not gonna say responsibility, but the privilege of facilitating uh, these class meetings. So, and then equipping them with some basic tools. And, and so, much of, so much of that is just facilitation, Todd. And helping, you know, just giving people the tools to facilitate a conversation uh, and, make, and make people feel comfortable, and sure that the, that, the, that the gathering is a safe place, that the things that are shared are held in confidence, a place where people can express their their hopes, their their uh, their struggles, um, their struggles with God, maybe, or their their struggles with just you know life, um, and then you know it's a place where people can agree on how they can be the body of Christ in that particular area, 
and how they can lift up how they can lift each other up in prayer it's it's really a very simple process but at the same time will will help Methodists stay connected to each other and will take people deeper into their life in God and deeper into their life in community in an earlier episode on this subject we talked with the Reverend Cindy Cargus the superintendent for the Gateway and Great West districts in Nebraska we talked to her about leaders for these classes, and she described them less as serving like pastors and more like assisting as shepherds. Here again is her explanation. One way has been described as kind of being a shepherd of the congregation. Um, there are already people who are there, and I think a lot of times if we ask, you know, who is the spiritual leader of your congregation? Who are some spiritual leaders? Those, those names will surface. Um, and, and I think that's uh, an important piece um, there are people already there, right, uh, that, that can um, help people with their own spiritual growth, um, who can um, provide the connections that, that people need with, to be with each other uh, whether, and uh, um, to really be the shepherd. A shepherd. It's an image we as Christians are quite comfortable with. Bishop Sines goes on to share his thoughts on why class leaders and class meetings are important, in his view, to how we can improve our spiritual disciplines and strengthen our relationship with Jesus Christ. He also talked about how class leaders can learn how to do this and then teach others. I think there needs to be a, a kind of a historical grounding, right? I mean, this is who we are as United Methodists. This is our DNA. So that, that's one. The second one is, what is the theological grounding for that, right? I mean, and you look at Jesus, right? The 12. I mean, that's, I mean, you can't get more like Jesus did it maybe we should do it too kind of stuff uh, but then you get into the practical matters of how do you facilitate a you know class meeting uh, what is your role as as a spiritual leader of the group how do you watch over each other in love uh, and and how do you continue leading the group you know in their discipleship and uh, and, and encouraging and and and, uh, um, and walking alongside of people and so, and a lot of that is apprenticeship, right? You, know, you do, I watch, you do, I help, you know, I do, you help, I do, you watch, I do, and all of a sudden I'm off on my own. And so, so much of this is learned, but you know, we have amazing people that this is second, this will be second nature to them. Uh, we have people that are leaders in our communities, in, our, in, our, uh, in different sectors, but they don't necessarily envision themselves as a spiritual leader, right? Leading a, a group per se. Um, but but they do have a lot of spiritual influence and and um, and healthy a lot of spiritual maturity uh, that they can then share and to help edify the body of believers, so to speak. And so it's intimidating, but you know what? It's also rewarding because when you see someone transformed by the life of Christ in them and you see them becoming you know more and more to have the mind of Christ and and to and to be a disciple of Christ it is that's what making disciples is all about and that's extremely rewarding so we can do this we have gifted laity in our churches we have people who want to be devoted followers of Christ in our congregations the talent is there even in our smallest churches. And it's in these smallest of churches where this concept of class meetings may be the most significant. 
Friends, we have some harsh realities to face. The Great Plains, all by itself, has literally hundreds of congregations of 50 or fewer people in worship each week. We have dozens of churches with fewer than 25 people in average worship attendance, and that's before COVID-19 hit. Those so few in numbers simply can't sustain a clergy person. But those churches are nowhere near dead. Not even close. They're still very much alive. Alive to provide service, extend mercy, and fight for justice within their communities. People need these small churches, and class meetings just may be the answer to maintain a united Methodist witness in some of our smallest towns and in rural areas with wide open spaces. Lisa Moppin, our conference lay leader, grew up in a small town in western Nebraska. Some of you may remember how she explained small town pride in a previous episode. I think it was worthwhile to show you one more time. Here it is again. You have to remember in small towns, there's a lot of small town pride, right? There's a lot of um, history and there's some, some of that small town pride. It is, it is, it hurts when you become a church that can no longer afford or given a, um, a clergy person. That's, that's a loss of status and pride that it hurts. It hurts um, to think that you've gotten to that point. Because you remember in a small town, your loss, you know, I always say the, the, the way a small town kind of starts to get to the unincorporated status is first of all, you lose your grocery store, right? Then you lose your school. Then you lose your post office. And the last thing you have to lose is your church. But it doesn't have to be that way. Some churches may have to swallow a little pride before embracing this historic model as a way of embracing their future, and others may jump right in. It's pretty clear. From bishop signs to the cabinet to the ministry areas resourced at the conference level, the class meeting model is going to receive a lot of attention for a long, long time. It's just our reality. And the reason is it has the greatest opportunity to help us make new disciples. That is, after all, our primary mission, right? Bishop Signs explains further. Our district superintendents are talking to our network leaders and continue to see that 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 idea and also our congregational um, excellence uh, department is following up with training. And so first of all, it's, you know, those who, who self-identify, right, which are the, always the early adapters, um, like Mark Baldwin, for example. You know, these are ones that say, hey, I'll, we'll try it out and we'll implement it. And then as these early adapters start to, to uh, implement and see the benefits of what it's doing in the life of their people, uh, then they become the, the best champions and advocates for it, and then others come along. And I think any time you initiate something, it's never going to be, you know, a, um, um, uh, a, a, a big moment where it's all going to launch. you you got to start with, with, with those that are willing and those that see the possibilities and then continue to nurture it and stay with it. And that's one of the things I appreciate about, you know, all of our, you know, uh, directors, uh, communications, financial services, um, clergy excellence and congregational excellence is that they don't just roll out stuff, they stay with the initiatives for the long haul. So it's not like, well, you know, what happened to this or what happened to that? Well, what happens to it is that we continue to build upon it and continue to resource churches towards that end. And we continue to augment, you know, our, our our support and resourcing for the churches because at the end of the day, 
the local church is a loci for disciple making. I mean, the, the clergy and the laity are at the front lines. They're the ones that are embedded in communities. They're the ones that are having conversations with the, with the residents of the communities. And so they're the ones that are helping to expand and extend the mission of Jesus Christ throughout the Great Plains. And so they're the ones that we need to constantly resource with whatever they need so that they can do the work and accomplish the mission. Of course, that mission isn't just for small churches. Indeed, congregations of all sizes can put this concept of class meetings with accountability, intentional discipleship, and spiritual discipline to work to improve their churches, their communities, their little corner of the world. I made that observation to Bishop Science. Thank you for raising that issue. It's not just for those that, that are dealing with financial sustainability matters, but it's also uh, a way of being the church in larger congregations. Um, because the truth is that larger congregations, people, people need a place of belonging and, and of, uh, of mutual accountability. And so, and, and I think like Alpha Courses, for example, and Disciple Bible Study, they helped do this, uh, and they and they brought back those the, that type of covenant group relationship. This is not a, a, an open group where people come and go once a week. This is a commitment that people make to each other to gather uh, regularly uh, for this express purpose. And 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 so these are covenant groups. They're they're almost closed, and and you bring in people uh, with it in seasons. But but once the the group you know forms you start another group or the one or a person from that class meeting can go and start another class meeting and that's the idea that you know when, when I did disciple Bible study at the local church one year I had nine participants right nine the first year and everyone like I'm not going to commit to you know 36 weeks of disciple Bible study the second year we had 37 and two of my disciple Bible study leaders then took on you know two other groups the third year, we had 120. The fourth year, we had 220 people in Disciple Bible Study. And by this time, we had one, two, three, and four. We had, we had class leaders that had formed. We had small groups that were meeting. And it just really rooted our church in Scripture, which then you know, manifested itself in service and in generosity uh, and, and, in, and in attendance because people wanted to gather to worship. Uh, it, it, it infused our, our idea of how we do budgets because budgets are theological statements, you know, in many ways. And so it gave us a language that we could then begin to, to frame our ministry, our budgets, and our vision around uh, the, the biblical witness of helping people love God, proclaiming new life in Jesus Christ, serving others, especially the poor. And we had a lot of poor people in our communities and doing justice and so and so these four things were were just a part of who we became because of these conversations these intimate conversations this is not a a flash in the pan so to speak this is something that we're deeply committed to and that we will continue to resource but but the hope is that eventually it'll just become part of who we are that people would just resource each other and, and, and not only depend upon the conference for resourcing, but they'll be sharing best practices, encouraging each other, and resourcing each other out, you know, on the edges of the conference, which is which is which then it becomes people take ownership of it. So this is who we are and this is how we do ministry and discipleship here in the Great Plains.
again, this is not just assembling a ragtag bunch of small groups. This is meant to make disciples of people new to faith, to make current disciples even better disciples, and to make our churches stronger and more integral parts of their communities. Let's revisit a comment from an earlier episode from David Lowe's Watson. The difficulty here is that a whole generation ago, small groups became the in thing to have. And there were all sorts of small groups. And people became experts in small groups. In fact, one of them even called it a social disease, small groupitis. Well, I would in no way say don't do that because small groups are very good for people. That's where they can feel they belong somewhere, particularly for people who might otherwise be lonely. And of course, when you get together, you bond. And when you're in a group that is bonding, then you open up some more. Now, all of this is very generic and very good. But if we're going to do this in the context of the church, then I don't think we can simply have good small groups. Because the first thing that can happen then is that they enjoy each other so much, they begin to put the church second. Whereas these groups ought to be the church. Okay? And it's very interesting, as we've been working in covenant discipleship all these years, we have found that without anybody realizing it, once these groups became normative, they also began to be the actual lay leadership of the church. People that you can rely on. People that you know are faithful. And people that are not just doing works of mercy, but also works of piety. They're not doing just compassion and justice. They're also doing worship and devotion and balancing that. And what that does is provide the lay leadership of a congregation that can be hands-on. Even in large churches, this is a good thing. But in the small churches we're talking about here, it's going to be critical. Because if you identify for these small churches what you mean by pastoral leadership, then you will have a firm foundation. But if you simply say, let's form small groups and see how it works, or let's form small groups and just enjoy each other, then you may have some good small groups, but you may not have a faithful congregation. And when a, when a congregation is becoming much more self-sufficient than the ones that have pastoral appointments with clergy, when they're becoming self-sufficient, it's vitally important to establish the ground rules at the very beginning. I wanted to give Bishop Sines a final chance to explain the concept of class meetings. So I asked him simply what he wants the Lady of the Great Plains Conference to understand. Listen closely to what he had to say about reclaiming the church as the home base for community in our cities and towns. I just think that class meetings, uh, first of all, signal that the church can be a safe space um, to talk about things that really matter in, uh, in, in people's lives. It can be a place of confidence. It can be a place of uh, communal support. 
the community from the, you know and that's one of the means of grace right uh, Christian fellowship that there there should be something that is transformative about us coming together as sisters and brothers in Christ to mutually encourage each other to bear one another's burdens to pray for each other you know to hold each other accountable um, to maybe exhort each other and admonish each other as necessary you know and and all of these things that that are that are deeply relational uh, and I think our our world and our and our society is is hungering for those types of authentic relationships the, the the problem is that people find those types of relationships outside of the church because because they don't they don't find them within church community uh, and and that's 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 a space that I think we need to reclaim. Um, and that's a, that's a space that I think the Spirit is calling us to reclaim now, even more so, as, as people are recognizing the need for a community. And, and they're finding it. They're finding it virtually, uh, digitally. Uh, but they're also, you know, missing the, the, uh, the analog community or, or, the, or the personal community. So I would just encourage people to you know, to, to think about this, to pray about it, and to be open to being invited to lead or, or to even participate in a class meeting. So, are you ready to lead? I hope you are. Christ is calling us all to lift each other up and to hold each other accountable. Jesus wants more and stronger disciples to carry his message of hope, love, mercy, and justice to an ailing world. We can't do that, at least easily, if churches close their doors for good. And we can't do that if disciples aren't out serving in the world. So when you hear more about class meetings, please give it a listen and consider how you might play a role. Maybe you could be a class leader. Just a thought. That's it for this three-episode mini-series about class meetings and class leaders. You can listen to the previous episodes via an archive on the conference site at www.greatplainsumc.org podcasts or on my personal page, www.toddseifert.com. Special thanks to my guests for these episodes. Today you heard from Bishop Ruben Sines Jr., District Superintendent Cindy Cargis, Conference Lay Leader Lisa Maupin, and historian and author David Lowe's Watson. Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with FirstCom Music. You can find archive podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tcypher at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.